0: Hello again, everyone, and welcome to episode 78 of Now We're Talking. I'm Rob Danish from the University of Waterloo, and this is a podcast about communication skills. So today I want to start talking about one of my particularly, uh, one of my kind of fascinations or one of the things I find most interesting that has drawn me to communication studies uh, most And We're just going to talk about a little tiny bit of it today, but I hope to make a couple of episodes around this particular theme But what interests me today is why institutions or large organizations make bad decisions and I feel like in my lifetime I've been surrounded by large institutions universities and other kinds of institutions that make really really terrible decisions Uh, it's almost fascinating to watch how a group of really smart people who are otherwise very, very capable, can get together and just the outcome is horrendous. It's like not even close to what a good outcome would be. And I think if you look at companies even, large, really successful companies, uh, I I work in Kitchener-Waterloo, so home of BlackBerry. BlackBerry invented a technology essentially for uh, encrypted texting that was enormously popular. They had a bunch of popular phones and now they're essentially nothing um they still are alive as a business but barely uh compared to where they were 15 years ago or so and you can ascribe that to no more technological innovations like they just didn't make any other technological innovations and smartphones changed faster than they did but really institutions fail all the time because people make bad decisions and groups of people are responsible for the decisions inside those organizations Uh, Lately, I've also been witness to a number of committees making decisions about uh, senior leadership positions at the university, at my university, at other universities, and it's really, really astonishing the kind of bad outcomes that happen. For me, I think most the answer to why institutions make bad decisions is almost always a matter of communication. So you have generally competent people, generally smart people, They've made it, they've gotten, they've sort of achieved things in life. They're, you know, well along the way. Yet when you put a group of them together, <laughs> they, they somehow collectively become dumber or, or make poor decisions. Um, the reason that that group of smart people all of a sudden becomes dumber when they're kind of coordinated together is because of communication problems between and among or within that group of people. So I want to talk about like one, just today I'm going to talk about one specific communication practice that is definitively productive of bad decisions. Uh, but there are others, there's several. So today what I want to talk about is leaders that stonewall. So in any organizational setting, in any kind of large institutional setting, people are going to be in managing managerial positions, they're going to be in leadership positions by by default. You need an organizational structure for a large institution. That organizational structure is going to be somewhat hierarchical or bureaucratically hierarchical such that some people are in managerial or leadership positions and others are not. Um, the people in managerial or leadership positions have an enormous communicative responsibility. They drive the communication process that is, in almost all cases, in all institutions, their central responsibility to drive the communication process. And so a lot of the fault of bad decision making in large institutions is the result of managers who cannot or are unable to effectively drive communication processes. They can't do the communicative work necessary to arrive at a good decision, uh, either because they don't know how or because they're un- unwilling. So what I want to talk about today is a particular communication practice that becomes that is somewhat commonplace Uh, for those in leadership or managerial positions, that is terribly destructive to decision-making processes and ultimately will almost guarantee lead to a bad outcome or a bad decision, and that's stonewalling. And I've talked about stonewalling in this podcast before, mostly related to interpersonal communication, because it's a major, major predictor of interpersonal breakdown. Uh, So stonewalling is a kind of refusal, in interpersonal communication at least, stonewalling is a kind of refusal of one partner to even acknowledge or say anything back to the other partner. It's a version of the silent treatment. So your partner asks how your day was and you don't say anything in response. You don't say it sucked because of you, you're a terrible person. You don't say it was great, it was awesome because I got away from you. So and you just don't say anything in response. And stonewalling is is more harmful to interpersonal communication than actual um than than actually fighting with your significant other or engaging in conflict or telling the truth, et cetera, even if the truth is, is hurtful. So if we kind of fast forward to organizational settings, we can ask, well, what's stonewalling in an organizational setting and what work does it do? I would argue that it's almost more common in organizational settings than in interpersonal settings. And in some ways it does more damage because, more people in the, in the communicative process are damaged by the presence of stonewalling. Um, so um, what is it in, what happens when stonewalling is applied to organizational settings? What does it look like? Uh, that's the question. And how do we recognize it is sort of another question. And what are the effects of stonewalling? What does stonewalling lead to, or, or why does stonewalling lead to bad decisions? Those are sort of the questions that we have. Uh, in front of us. So what happens uh, in an organizational setting when someone is still willing? So I'm gonna talk through a particular example that's happening to me right now. So we have people in our provost office who are in significant managerial or supervisory or leadership positions. So if you need to get something done at the university, oftentimes you need to go through the provost's office and there are several people there that have different portfolios and different responsibilities. So in the last uh, two or three weeks, I've sent three email messages and made two phone calls to people in the provost office, and I've yet to receive a response. And each of the emails and phone calls was just a request for information. Can I please have some information about X? Where we stand with Y? Uh, are we not doing it? Are we doing it? Are we waiting? Is it you know what's happening? And I've gotten no response whatsoever. That is classic stonewalling. So stonewalling in that case is just the outright refusal to in a timely manner. Respond for request to information. It is the intentional uh, Thought-out refusal to respond to a request for information Um, That's kind of blatant version a in organizational settings There's less blatant version B of stonewalling, which is someone requests information so, you know, you say I need information about X And instead of just not even responding, the person in the managerial supervisory role responds in what I would call a non sequitur, so with information irrelevant or not related to the request being made. So I'm like information about, you know, A, you know, where are we at with A, what's going on with A? And the person in supervisory position does respond, but responds with, well, you know, all A's at the university are complicated, and every time the university does A, it's A really complicated this is bureaucratic managerial speak that means nothing and it is in some sense also stonewalling because it's a refusal to respond to the original question the original request for information Um, I'd say B is more prevalent than A I'm kind of shocked in my own case that A is even happening um, a is a kind of gross form of unprofessionalism that's practiced. And when that kind of gross form of unprofessionalism is practiced by people in leadership or managerial positions, it's devastating on the organizational culture, which I'll explain in a second. B is, unfortunately, has become acceptable commonplace for those in managerial or supervisory or leadership positions to just deflect from their request for information by uh, articulating a series of non sequiturs um, that kind of create a barrier or uh, make it impossible for the person requesting information to get information. Um, These things can happen in meetings too. I've seen it happen in a meeting uh, whereby a person in a supervisor or leadership position in our faculty, and there were like 20 people in the room and two people asked that person a question and the person in charge of the meeting just sat there silently for a while and somebody else said something And then the conversation kind of kicked off and he literally, the person in the leadership position never answered the original question, which was quite simple and quite straightforward. That was type A of stonewalling. And then more frequently I see, you know, you say someone, well, you know, if someone's in a significant leadership position at a university, it's like, what are your priorities? You know, what do you value most? And the person says, well, I value a lot of things. Everything's really important. You get a nothing burger of an answer. And that person has also stonewalled. Uh, So what happens, uh, what does it look like in an organizational setting? It looks like either A or B. So you should ask yourself if you're listening to this, how many times professionally have I requested information or more information or to know what's happening with something and not gotten any response whatsoever from the people above me or in supervisory positions? Or how many times have I asked for information and gotten an answer that has nothing to do with the information that I gave? That's what stonewalling looks like in organizational settings. And of course, it's, that's different than what it looks like in interpersonal settings. Um, it's easy to recognize, I think in, in the first case, it's easy to recognize when someone just doesn't bother responding. Years ago, like this is like 18 months ago now, I sent an email to someone in the provost office, they requested information from me I sent them the information, and I still have never gotten a response. Even though there's constant, there's always decisions and decision making and conversation around the issue that they requested information of me, that uh, I sent them, that that disputed some of what they were claiming, and there's never to this day that person will not respond. There, I will never get a response to my initial, uh, initial email, which is just kind of like mind blowing. Um, So one way you can evaluate a leader's competence or someone in a managerial position's competence is just go through the day and see how much stonewalling they engage in. How many times do they not even bother to respond to requests for information? How many times do they respond to requests for information with non sequiturs? Um, How often, what's the frequency of the presence of this kind of stonewalling for that person in the position of leadership? If it's quite frequent, if they're stonewalling multiple times a day, they're going to be destructive of your organization they're, uh, and they're not competent leaders. They're not, they should not be in the position that they're in. Uh, they should not do that. Um, it, it, and stonewalling is not just... So let's say you know you request information about something from someone in a supervisory position and the person in the supervisory position doesn't really know the answer. Well, then that person in the leadership position needs to respond by saying, I'm not sure. I don't have a timeline yet. I don't know what's going to happen with this particular thing. We haven't figured it out yet. That's not stonewalling. It's keeping the communication channel open and keeping the the circuit of communication kind of flowing. Um, And it's acknowledging transparently where, where things are. I can speculate as to why people in leadership or managerial positions often stonewall Uh, It's probably because they're deeply insecure. They don't know how to deliver bad news. They don't want to deliver bad news. They think delivering bad news is worse than not saying anything. They're, of course, wrong. They don't know what they're doing or what they're talking about. It's not the case that delivering bad news is worse than stonewalling. Stonewalling is far, far worse, because like we talked about in the context of interpersonal communication, when if, if you refuse to even bother talking to your partner, that's a demonstration of such a level of resentment and disrespect that the relationship has trouble getting over it. But if you respond to your partner in negative ways, at least you're responding. At least, you know, you're in communication still. But stonewalling is a way of opting even out of the communicative process entirely. And so uh, what are the effects of stonewalling on organizational cultures? Why does stonewalling lead to bad decisions? Well, remember, in interpersonal relationships, stonewalling creates uncertainty, which creates anxiety. So it's the same in an organizational setting. If you want to ratchet up anxiety and uncertainty and you, by creating a communication vacuum, which is essentially what stonewalling does. So if a person in a leadership position refuses to share information and refuses to engage in the communicative process, they have created a void in that communication process, uh, which acts kind of like a vacuum. And what does that void get filled up with? All sorts of uncertainty, anxiety, projection, uh, irrational thoughts, rationalizations, speculation, unfounded assumptions—like everything that is disruptive of the communicative process—gets filled in in the in the in the abs in the, in the in the kind of space that's left by the manager that's engaged in stonewalling. So, the number one way I would say to create anxiety and tension in a workplace culture or in an organizational setting is stonewalling by people in managerial leadership positions it's kind of it's it's like starting a fire of anxiety throughout the place um so and i see this conflagration catching in my own situation so the provost office will not respond to my emails or to my phone calls so my department members want to know what's up with x and i say back to my department members well look uh i i I don't know I, I can't get any information back from the provost office so they start speculating they start feeling anxious they're worried they're concerned uh, there's no confidence in the administration of the university there's no confidence in what happens in the provost office now so the second thing besides uh, anxiety that's produced is a lack of confidence and trust what you're doing when you're stonewalling, is you're damaging the confidence anyone has in your ability to make good decisions and and act as a good leader and you're making people distrustful of you so the consequence or the effect here is anxiety plus distrust essentially um so that is that those are the the main effects now what happens when you eventually we will re-enter the communicative process at some point the provost office has to talk to me after stonewalling me for a while has to be responsive to my department's requests what happens then well now emotions and feelings will dominate the deliberative process both the emotions and feelings of the people who have caused who have been made anxious uncertain distrustful uh lacking in confidence And obviously the reason for the stonewalling is some sort of insecurity or a kind of um, lack of emotional stability on the part of the person in a managerial or supervisory position. And now the deliberative process is going to be entirely driven by the emotional needs of those in the deliberative process and not by the kind of demonstration of clear thinking or rational uh, decision-making that would lead to a good decision. People are emotional creatures. And what stonewalling does is ensure that you're magnifying their negative affective states in the deliberative process. And you're making sure that the deliberative process is after the stonewalling going to be driven by negative affective states. It's gonna be driven by anxiety, uh, fear, distrust, uncertainty, etc. So what stonewalling does is essentially place those negative affective states at the center of your organizational culture and your deliberative processes so as to ensure that those feelings dominate or influence or kind of over-determine the outcomes of whatever the process is going to be. Uh, And so that's that's what's going on in, in my case. And even I know this, and I cannot opt out of having those negative emotions influence my Next strategic moves inside the communicative process. It's it's impossible, even with an awareness of it, to just eliminate the presence of distrust, anxiety, uncertainty, lack of confidence, etc. Now, the the question for me is so that's why stonewalling leads to bad decisions. It makes the decision make it, it turns the decision making process into a process driven by negative affective states, which were created by the original communication practice of the person driving that communication process. Why would anyone why would anyone in a leadership or managerial position want to drive a communication process through these negative affective states? Uh, I'm not sure they they intentionally want or desire that kind of that kind of outcome. but all too, ha- all too often, they do create those conditions or people in leadership or management positions do end up creating those, those positions or those kind of the, the conditions why, whereby the deliberative process is going to be governed or driven by those negative affective states. Um, so, so look, if I'm someone that's uh, looking for someone to hold a significant leadership or managerial position, in a large institutional or organizational setting. One of the hallmark features I don't want, or one of the central features I'm looking for in that person is high degree of responsiveness to concerns and requests for information. Uh, That high degree of responsiveness is a good indicator of transparency. And on a previous episode of this podcast, I I talked about the importance of transparency. So transparency builds trust. Um, if that person does not have a high degree of responsiveness, even if they're accidentally prone to stonewalling, so let's say the person I've been emailing in the provost's office has been away for two weeks on vacation, even though his email doesn't say that. Um, you know, maybe there is a real good excuse why he hasn't responded to my messages. But even if there is, it it doesn't matter. It still constitutes stonewalling. It's still produced. And this is why this podcast is about what effect you have had, not the transmission of information. The effect produced by the stonewalling, whether it's intentional or not, is distrust and anxiety and stress and uncertainty, etc. It's not. It's not not excusable uh, just because there's context that um, produced the stonewalling on the part of the person in a leadership position so in for a person in leadership position they have to be highly responsive even if their responsiveness is i'm not sure i can get you an answer in two weeks time or i'm not sure i know the answer to that question it's a difficult one i'm going to need time to figure that out um, or that's not a priority for me right now i have other priorities and i'm too busy to get to your question when i have more time i will even if it's a negative kind of response which sometimes people are terrified of giving it shows a degree of responsiveness, just like inter- in interpersonal relationships. You show a de- degree of responsiveness by yelling back at your partner or engaging them in a conflict. Uh, that might not feel good, but the stonewalling is so so far worse. So um, the deepest problem of stonewalling in organizational cultures or institutional settings is the same as it is in interpersonal communication. Stonewalling demonstrates a a high degree of of resent and disrespect. It is deeply unprofessional. Um, So when you have people in a managerial or supervisory or leadership position stonewalling, they're telling you, I don't respect you enough to even bother responding. And you cannot have a good decision-making process that relies on the expertise and the knowledge of of a whole bunch of people at an institution or an organization when the person in a leadership position is openly communicating to everyone else that they have no respect for um, and they actually resent the people that are the other people involved in the communicative process. And again, I'm not sure that this is intentional all the time, but it is what it means, like that's what it means, because that's the the outcome, the effect of the practice uh, is as I, I've described it. Um, so I, I don't know if the person in the provost office were actually listening to this podcast, they're they probably think they would probably be thinking, but I didn't mean it. I like I didn't. I don't I don't disrespect you. I don't disrespect you. <laughs> but you do. Um, if you did have more respect, or if you did understand your job in the the, the your job in driving the communication process, you would not be so unresponsive. You would not engage in one of the central communication practices that we know is destructive of bad, uh, is destructive of organizational cultures and productive of bad decision making. Um, okay, so leaders do not stonewall. Or when leaders do stonewall, institutions make bad decisions and are are marked by cultures of distrust. Uh, and anxiety and stress. Uh, so that's it for this episode. I, I hope to keep working on on some episodes around this theme about why institutions make bad decisions because there's other communication processes too that get used that are really not helpful. Uh, so thanks everyone for listening. I'll be back shortly with another episode.